This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice, a North Carolina writer holding a Ph.D. in entomology who, on this show, will largely be addressing pigeons. Wait, what? The author of Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Ants series and co-author of Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Spiders, both of which she discussed on this show in the past, Spicer Rice began keeping homing pigeons, now knows a great deal about them, and has clearly developed a newfound passion for those pigeons. As I wrote in an email to Spicer Rice, I really like the idea of a card-carrying entomologist going bonkers for pigeons, which is not to suggest she turn her back on bugs, not at all. In fact, while the focus of this conversation today is likely to be pigeons, we may touch on insects, and Spicer Rice has said she'd be happy to respond to listeners' questions about any and all bugs. So... Feel free to call those in, email those in, text us those, and uh, we'll get to all that when I speak with Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice in just a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll speak with Karen Slifker of the Florida Wiener Dog Derby taking place this Saturday, May 7th at Curtis Hicks and Waterfront Park starting at 10 a.m. A full slate of activities on a day designed to raise money for two local docks and rescues. We'll learn more about Florida Wiener Dog Derby later in today's show. Right now, though, let's Let's talk pigeons, bugs, and who knows what else with Dr. Spicer Rice. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice back on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Dr. Spicer Rice. Good morning. I'm so glad to be back. I love this show. Oh, well, thanks. Well, this show loves you, so uh, it's uh, we're super happy to have you back on. So, of course, we'll get to pigeons in a moment, but I want to begin by discussing insects a little bit and the study of insects. I probably should have looked this up before the show, but I believe that's called entomology. You got it right. Okay, so far, so good. Entomology, that's a study of words. Okay, well, that's right. I know. And if you speak too too fast, uh, you can't tell one from the other. So, um, but all kidding aside, you took all all the way. You got a PhD in entomology. So we may have talked about this before, but I'm just curious from sort of a different angle or another, maybe. What exactly propelled you in traveling down that academic path all the way to the PhD in entomology? Well, I've always loved bugs. And I think that anybody who is a human and has been outside as a child probably at some point in their life has been fascinated by bugs. And I've figured out as I got along in my career path and in college that insects make up 80% of life that's described on Earth, right? I mean, they're most of what's around us is bugs. And I knew that if you got still and you looked around, there'd be bugs around you, right? So I figured that would be the biggest thing for my butt in terms of learning about the natural world would be to learn what the bugs are around us and what they're doing. And so that's how I decided to go to graduate school and learn more about them. So I got a master's in bees and then a PhD studying ant behavior. Okay, so I guess this still, so obviously you're driven by this broader worldview, but obviously intense curiosity and a longstanding passion really for bugs. So then when you get your master's, then you go on and get your PhD 
PhD. In a field like that, I mean, isn't a PhD kind of often thought of as a, uh, a ticket to a, a notable career in academia? But that but that doesn't seem like necessarily what you had in mind. No. So what? Well, you know, as, as I learned about bugs, I realized that even though we love them as children, we're taught to fear them and to dislike them. A lot of times I tell people what I studied and they would say, gross, you know, and it's not gross. It's, it's, it's magical. It's wonderful. And it's what's making this world run. Yeah. And so I tried to find a way to help people to see that it wasn't gross. And so I started writing about bugs for people and then I realized I could do that as a job. So that's what I do now. I, I get to write about bugs for people, and it's the greatest job I can ever imagine. And that was another thing I thought about, like sort of a sequence of events, because as we've talked about when you've been on discussing your books, I mean, you are really just a great, lovely writer. So I'm also wondering, like, if the writing was kind of always along the way, like, well, I'm going to do something with writing, and meanwhile, here I am getting these advanced degrees on bugs, so chances are, I guess I'll combine that, but I definitely know I want to do something with writing. Was that kind of always a compelling sort of uh, impulse along the way? Well, if I had known that any of these things that I loved existed, then yes, it definitely would have been. But I'm, I'm from a small town, and at the time, I didn't know that science writing was a, a thing. I didn't know that entomology was a thing until I left home to go to, to college. So I just kind of luckily stumbled into figuring out that the things that I love are real things in the world that people can do every day. And I also love reading. I don't know about you, but I feel like the more books I read, I don't mean like books about bugs, although please read my books about bugs, but I feel like more that you read of literature and about people and these old books, the better you're able to understand the world that you're living in right now. And so I it's really great for me to be able to combine my love of reading and my love of bugs. And so it sounds like the path, you know, although it was not prescribed because some of these things you said you, you didn't really know about until you kind of got there. But uh, all kidding aside, was there a moment as you're at least now you have a master's and you're pursuing your Ph.D.? Was there a time where you thought I could still do writing, but maybe I should think about getting a university job or being a professor of entomology somewhere or, I mean, was that ever kind of uh, seriously considered as, as part of the path? Yes, that was, that was my whole path going up into getting my PhD. I, I just thought that I would either work in industry or work in academia. And anybody who's been through graduate school knows that it's very, very hard to leave the academic path and strike a path of your own because you're getting trained by people who have spent their life doing this to do what they do. Yeah. And I had a wonderful PhD advisor, and he was training me to do what I do, but he wasn't thrilled that I was leaving that to do something completely different, you know. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I thought that that's what I was going to do, but um, I kept reading articles in the paper that really bothered me. I would see, you know, people bragging about, you know, their child killing the snake, for example. I remember there was an article in the paper, and they're like, you know, Billy Joe killed this you know, 12 foot snake yesterday and look how big it is. And they're celebrating somebody for killing a snake when we don't understand that the reason that we have here where I am a, a tremendous copperhead population. And we have such a, one of the reasons we have such a big copperhead population is because we're killing all the snakes like king snakes and rat snakes that eat copperhead. Mm. And so we don't need to celebrate these things. Let's look at it with wonder than rather than looking at it through a, a, a lens of domination. And as I was reading these things, I thought, well, maybe I can help to change this kind of stuff. Maybe I can help write this, write these things about these things that I love 
and help people to stop seeing them as, as gross or frightening because they're not gross and frightening. Right. So maybe I'll write the story about why you shouldn't be doing that to all the copperheads. And let me explain why and what the difference that makes to this overall snake population. Or just maybe we could just show you how beautiful the snakes are that you're killing or how neat they are or yeah. how amazing they are or how not not deadly they are. Yeah. I mean, we if once you start to pay attention to anything, and this could be, you know, the snakes in your backyard or it could be the, the dragonflies or it could be the spider living under your kitchen table. If you just take a minute and stare at it for a minute, you'll realize that it's doing something amazing. And you'll realize that it has a place in this world. And you can start to, you'll never be bored if you start to learn about the world that's around you right now. Yeah. There's always something around to see. Yeah, that sense of wonder, of course, I think is one of the, I hope, one of the through lines of this show is that whether it's a dog or a cat or a copperhead or a butterfly or uh, right. maybe even an ant, there are so many things to appreciate and savor about uh, all kinds of creatures, large and small. Um, or a wiener dog derby. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I'm looking forward to getting filled in on that because that, uh, I'm wondering, like, do they have, like, a racing form for some of the wiener dogs? Like, how do you know which way to bet on the race? But anyway. Um, all right. So, yeah. And again, of course, meanwhile, I'm talking to you from a state that, uh, for a complicated set of reasons, actually pays people to kill snakes that, of course, are not uh, native. And that's why. But anyway, so that's a whole other complicated Paying people to kill the snakes, that whole situation that, that you're talking about down in the Everglades yeah. comes from people, other people who love their animals but aren't paying attention to how the animals might be interacting with the natural world, right? Yeah. They don't want to kill their snakes, so they just feel better about releasing it into the wild. And then the snakes ate, what, like 95% of small mammals in the Everglades? Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's seriously a problem. And, of course, backing up a few steps from that, it's like, well, why did you get a python at your house to begin with if you didn't kind of know? You're talking to somebody who has two dozen pigeons in her backyard right now, so I can't. No, I know, and we're going to get to the I pigeons momentarily, I promise. On, on pythons. Because I don't understand the, like, wanting to have a pet snake. I think they're fascinating, and I love to look at them, and I would love to talk to a snake person to see why they would get a python to begin with. Because it's so amazing to me what we humans find connection with. Yeah. You know? Like, I found connection with, with bugs, for example, and I know that a lot of people think that that's strange because I, I live in a world where people tell me that I'm strange all the time. But I know that some people find connections with snakes. And they, you know, it's, it's so cool to me how much we as humans have this drive to connect with animals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the, the animal in question that people feel compelled to connect with obviously varies uh, in some cases widely. But there are a lot of people that do feel that kind of connection. And, and some may or may not be able to articulate it exactly why they, why they do have snakes, for example. Right. I'm sure there's be a great explanation about the fascination and the kind of creature it is and the kind of look and the kind of connection to sort of prehistoric beings. But, yeah, I don't have snakes on hand. I mean, we have snakes slithering around our house, but that's not really the same. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it is uh, interesting what, what drives people towards uh, the animals they do keep in the house. So, which brings us to, you have been writing books... And, of course, we've got the Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Ants, which is actually a series of books by that title. And we've got the Dr. Eleanor's Book of Common Spiders that you co-wrote with uh, Christopher Buttle. And we talked about that on the show. Um, mm -hmm. So, in what may or may not be easy to anticipate, um, 
Now you're totally involved with pigeons. Right. Now yeah. I'm involved with pigeons. Well, yeah. So, okay. So, how did you first talk about day one? Where it's like, what was happening leading up to day one? Where you said, you know what? I've been thinking about this pigeon thing for some time. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to get a pigeon or pigeons and have them here at the house. Walk me through kind of the prelude to that. Really have a long, like, gestation period on thinking about getting pigeons and getting pigeons. Okay. It was kind of an impulse buy. Why I got them? I have not. A long fascination with pigeons. I think they're pretty. And when you see them out, I'm from a city, a big city, but not pigeon big. You know, some cities like New York or so can accumulate a lot of pigeons. We don't have a ton of pigeons here yeah. in North Carolina where I'm from. And so I didn't know a whole lot about them, but I had just had a baby. And I think, and when somebody has a baby, they don't really think straight. I don't <laughs> know if you know a lot of people. <laughs> they're tired and they don't make any sense. Yeah, sleep deprivation is brutal. It would be so cool to have this animal that would always come home. It's like you could train to come home to you. And so we went and got some pigeons. We got we didn't know anything about them. We had to we bought a chicken coop off of Craigslist and souped it up a little bit so that pigeons could live in it. It's since gotten become a like a big old thing back there, but um, and we've added on to it. But um, you know, and then we went and picked up some pigeons and just saw how it went, and it. And one of the greatest things that I've ever done, honestly. I mean, they're they're amazing. And so kind of learned about them as we went. So it really does sound like not quite an impulse buy, but sounds like it was just like, hey, here's a Saturday afternoon. Instead of going to get ice cream or whatever, let's let's go get some pigeons. It was very similar to that. I mean, it took a while to get the coop or the loft ready, but um, yes, it was very similar to that. We found some the man who rears pigeons over the internet and just drove out to his you know place and picked up a few of them and brought them home. And again, that was just because it was the idea that um, I like, think it was. I think it was just this idea that you could raise a, a creature and it will always come home to you. Yeah, and that just seemed really neat to me, especially as a new parent where I'm sitting there with these children that I know will leave me one day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it was just this idea that, that I could, we could do this. And I, and I wanted my older son who wasn't, he was two at the time to have this, see, he's seven now. So that's how we've been keeping him for about, about five years. I wanted him to be able to see what it's like for animals to grow up. We have dogs and we have hermit crabs, but he doesn't have, you know, this is something different. You can watch the bird, you can watch them hatch. You can, train things to come to you to, to sort of tame something. Yeah. Um, and I wanted him to have that experience and he does have that experience now that they, they, they recognize him and they come to him and, and you know, they, he has this incredible connection with these creatures. Now that sounds like a really cool experience to have for, especially for a young kid uh, who's now only seven. A lot of us have that experience with our pets. Yeah. Even the snake lovers. Right, perhaps. Well, they certainly hope it comes back if it gets loose in the house. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah. all right, so this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice, an entomologist, author of books about ants and spiders, who began keeping homing pigeons as we're just starting here and has since become passionate about pigeons. If you'd like to ask Dr. Spicer Rice a question uh, or offer a comment about pigeons, or she's still happy to field any and all questions, I think, about insects that might occur to you as we go along here, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So we've got, uh, 
One caller holding. Let's get them involved. Hi, you're on the Talking Animals with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. Hi, Dr. St- Dr. Spicer. Let me ask you a question, please. Do you know anything about histoplasmosis? About histoplasmosis? Yes, ma'am. Uh, it has to do with pigeon, I guess, poop is for a better word. You mean like, breathe, you know, you mean like um, when you're cleaning out the, cave, the coop and the bird dropping? No, I'm, I'm you, talking get, about a disease, a disease yeah, that people a, get from... Right, it's a fungal infection where you right, breathe my, in the spores. My, my, my wife's late husband died of that. Good gravy. Was your wife's late husband a pigeon keeper? He was a woofer. He was a woofer in Chicago. Oh, wow. And apparently he got histoplasmosis. There was a grapefruit-sized thing in his chest, and it killed him. Oh, Holy smoke. That is... So I'm saying, so I'm just, I just, I, you said you had children and stuff. I, I would, you know, keep your children... Pigeons aren't very clean. Well, yeah, so you, we clean, you have to clean the coop a lot, and you need to wear a mask when you're cleaning the coop. And I'm guessing as a roofer... He had to handle their feces a lot. Oh, and so in the buildings in Chicago? Yes, ma'am. Oh, Lord, yes. And, you know, since your wife's late husband lived in Chicago, we they have really um, eliminated a lot of the pigeons because they have peregrine falcons that are coming back. Okay, and the peregrine well, falcons good. are decimating the pigeon population out there, which is really cool to, I mean, sorry for the pigeons, but it's really cool to see how <laughs> that's working because they're... Both quick no, birds, and yeah. I'm just, I would just let people know about this stuff because it's bad, you know. I mean, there it was a guy bad. I knew up in up in New York, Mike Tyson. I'm sure you heard of him. Yeah, he keeps pigeons for sure. Yeah, yeah. he used to do that. I look at him; he's whack. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I think <laughs> I think we're straying far. I think we may have flo- flown the coop here on the, some of this now. I would, but I would just like her to be aware. Of yeah. Her. Well, one thing I would say without having anywhere near the expertise that sounds like you do or even for sure that Dr. Spicer-Rice does is probably the pigeon poop that you're describing that ended up being deadly was probably very different kind of pigeon and set of circumstances from the pigeons that Dr. Spicer-Rice and her family keep in her home. And it, it's because you know, they clean the coop so much. Right, right? that's what I was going to say. allow their coops not to be cleaned very often. This fungus can, can grow in them, and then people breathe it in, and then it grows in their lungs. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, well, that's, I just, that's I just wanted to make you aware of that, so, you know, because you got kids and you sound like a really yeah. nice lady, so... All right. Well, that's very good. Uh, we're not, we, we warned her and everybody listening. So that that's that's an important public service. Thank, thank you very much. I listen to you every week, and I enjoy the hell out of your program. Thank you. Oh well, thank you. I enjoy the hell out of that nice comment. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. And there's another thing about pigeons is like their their feces can grow this fungus, right? That can give you this, but. If pigeons had their druthers, they would be very, they like to be clean. They prefer to be clean. You can tell that something's wrong in your coop or a bird is sick if their feet are at all dirty. Because pigeons like to be kept super duper clean. Oh, wow. So they, so you, they want you, and you want to, clean out the coop as often as you can. Preferably do a little tidying every day in there. Yeah. yeah. But he is right. There are people who can get sick from breathing in those fungal spores if you let it. Um, if you leave it for a long time and the fungus grows in, in the poop, which I, as a roofer, which I'd never thought about in Chicago, I think yeah. it is something that people encounter a lot. You'd be exposed to it, yeah, or situations where there's no uh, thought of hygiene or, or yeah. worrying about uh, pigeon poop. All right, let's take another call. Right. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. Hey, how are you? Hi, how are you? Magnificent, as usual, same old wonderful. 
Listen, I've never seen anybody with a pet snake that would come when they call it. Now, that, uh, <laughs> I've got a problem with uh, feral chickens. Like, uh, they're sort of like a little gang, about five roosters, and they they kill other roosters that, like, get within the territory there. And the babies, they're killing the babies, you know, like, and... Uh, I tried putting them in a cage and protecting them till they got bigger, but they didn't do any good. Whenever you let them go, they attack them. And uh, I'm just wondering what, what's, uh, how to get around that sort of thing. Like, I, I don't have any chickens, but I train my dog to respect other animals as much as I can and not kill them. I've been able to do that with everything except raccoons. He kills raccoons like, uh, like entertainment. Wow. <clears throat> but... Uh, the situation is, with raccoons, you've got like a thing in their feces. It's a worm that, uh, when it dries up, it can be spread in the air, and it can cause people to go blind and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But uh, a dog usually keeps the raccoons away, and same thing with mine, if they've learned to respect them, even though he's mellow. But uh, how do you stop them from killing the babies? And, uh, you know, like... I hate that, you know, like uh, when they're born and the mama's around with them, then they'll come over and they'll kill the babies. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to allow uh, Dr. Spice Rice to answer that. It may, it may fall out of sight of her field of expertise on pigeons, but we'll we'll see, and then we're going to keep moving. But I thank you for your call. I can tell you what All my right, friends bye -bye. have done, yeah, because they do have aggressive chicken uh, roosters can be very aggressive and territorial. And the only thing is that I've heard of my friends who've had that same situation happen is that they've had to trap the roosters and take them to farms or places where people actually want roosters. Um, once you get, even in our coop, we had a mean bird and I asked the man, it was a male bird, I asked the man who gave us pigeons, Bruce, what to do about them. And he said, you got to get rid of the mean bird. And just like the people releasing their snakes in Florida, I thought, I cannot kill this bird. I can't do it. And so I took him far away from home and we let him go. And was like, stay. And he came home because he wow. kept coming home. Because they can fly, um, you know, over a thousand miles to get home. They can figure out how to come home. And so it was just a futile attempt. To, but we ended up wearing him out enough that he um, quit killing all the birds because we kept taking him so far from home. He was too tired to hurt anybody. <laughs> okay. But well, that, that's one solution. Are concerned. Yeah. yeah. As far as roosters are concerned, what I know that people have done is they've trapped them and they've found places. There are people who actually take people's roosters. And they might eat them. Some people eat them, and some people keep them as like a shelter animal. So wow. you can try it. All right. Well, thank you. Animals. There you go. Let's let's give that a whirl. And we got some other callers holding, but um, I want to ask you a couple more questions before we get to another caller. Maybe so far, what are some of the things you like most about pigeons? I mean, after. Spending a hunk of time with these birds sounds like five years or thereabouts. Um, right. Would you say that, is there a predominant personality or temperament that, that you could kind of identify now with pigeons? They're, they're gentle, but each bird has its own personality. Okay. Some birds like you more than other birds, and some birds don't. But they are extremely, extremely intelligent birds. And people don't realize that, but because pigeons are kind of like rats and that they're, you know, very abundant and people see them as a pest, so we're able to do a lot of research on them. So people have found that they have, can remember how to get home from long distances, right? Yeah. They also remember your pets, your individual birds, the individual people, and they remember this for years. They can live up to 25 years. So when you're walking down the street and you see a pigeon, that's your pigeon. You're going to see that pigeon again tomorrow because it likes to be home, and that's where it lives um, for, for many years. They showed that pigeons can learn how to recognize words. 
So they felt that only people could do this. It's called orthographic information. So you can teach pigeons, like they taught pigeons all these words, and they were able to recognize them from all these meaningless words. And not only that, but they could recognize what a word was, right? So wow. you see pigeons like flying around. They, can, they, they felt that people were the only people that had this ability, but pigeons can do that too. And people have been using pigeons to be service animals for years. We've been keeping them as pets for 10,000 years. And at least for the last couple of hundred years, we've been using actually longer than that since the beginning. Back in Egypt, where they came from, the pharaohs would use the pigeons to fly across the Nile to let people know that the flooding was coming. And they would use pigeons to relay the messages about the Olympics in ancient Greece. Like, we've used pigeons for, uh, like, you know, thousands of years yeah. to, to help us. And so, anyway, what I don't even remember what we were talking about. <laughs> well, we're talking about a bunch of interesting things, and one of the things that, that I think prompted your, your response there, I was just curious if you if you had started to see a predominant personality or temperament, and you said that they're gentle, but they each have their own personality, and they're right. highly, highly intelligent. And uh, and then you said the thing about, like, being re- able to recognize and, and respond to words. So, of course, I assume that out in the coop, they're reading copies of Dr. Eleanor's book of Common Ants, uh, at least in down, when they have downtime, yeah, at least. That's how they put their babies to bed. Sure. 